0: We're going to begin by reading John chapter 3, verses 27 through 30 in that third chapter. And even though this is the gospel of John, this is speaking about the man John that we know as John the Baptizer. Sometimes we call him the Baptist, but to avoid any confusion. John the Baptizer answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And there we will pause and we'll bow our heads once again together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning, Lord, once again as an assembly here. We consider your word this morning, Father, as you've called us to do so this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive it just as you would intend it, Lord, as something for our growth and for our benefit, and indeed, Lord, for our joy. Help us, Father, who are so justified in being so. Help us to be joyful, Lord, knowing who we are, who you are, what we are in you, and so many of the other blessings that we have promised to us, given to us so freely. Help us to be joyful, Father. Let's take this word, Lord. Help us to apply it to our lives and live it out, I pray. Be glorified in it, as always, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Big, bold letters for you there. Full joy. No question what our theme is this morning. And, And, well, I imagine that that theme is something that's considered in a number of meetings and assemblies and Church is true and so-called, I suppose you might say, across the country because there's a lot of, well I'll just go out and say it, there's a lot of money to be made in happiness, in the pursuit of happiness, and helping people to pursue happiness, and helping people to attain happiness, or on their journey to seek happiness and joy, many a person, many a preacher, many a motivational speaker, Many a book publisher has made a dime here and there in helping people to pursue what they believe is happiness. And to offer them some formula, some composition of what to add together and, and, and bring in and apply to your life so that you might have this semblance of joy and that sort of thing. Just about everybody wants to be happy. Just about everybody wants to feel some semblance of joy. But oftentimes, people just aren't. It just is what it is. Uh, You know, sometimes I believe it's as though, well, it's as though unhappiness, lack of joy, becomes a habit. And not just in people who don't know the Lord, but in God's people as well. It can become a habit, almost like we check into it when we wake up in the morning. I don't know, I was thinking recently, as I was considering this lesson, I used to watch cartoons a lot. I haven't watched a cartoon in a long time. Well, that's not true at all. I have watched my granddaughter, so I watch a lot of cartoons now that I think about it. I don't think she's ever seen Looney Tunes, though. A number of you young people might not know who, Looney, who the Looney Tunes were. But anyway, I kept on thinking about this one cartoon that I saw, where it was Wiley e. Coyote, you know, the, the bad guy. And he had on like a tie, and he had a lunch box, like in the old days, a little lunch pail, maybe I don't remember, and a briefcase. And so he walks in, and and he he took a punch card, goes to an office, takes out a punch card, and he punches in. And he passes by the the sheep dog, with his eyes over, with the hair over his eyes and everything. He says, "Good morning, Carl." And he says, "Good morning, Bill." And so then the sheep dog punches in, and they go different directions. And then the whole the whole concept of the cartoon was after that. They were at each other's throats the whole time, you know. The coyote was trying to get the sheep, and the sheepdog was beating the snot out of the coyote throughout the whole time. And then at the end of the day, Wiley e. Coyote was all busted up and bloody, and they checked out and said, "See you tomorrow, Bill. All right, Carl." You know, they just checked out. Uh, all of that just to say, sometimes I believe that it's our nature to kind of punch in, <laughs> check in. Another day. Cha-ching. Joy, you know, joy doesn't come easily to us. It becomes a habit. It becomes a habit to not have joy. Uh, and it just simply shouldn't be so. Now listen, life happens. I understand it. You understand it. I think in his way, God understands it and comprehends it. He doesn't excuse us for not having joy, but I think that he desires it. And I just think I know that he does because he presents it to us. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have not just simple mere happiness, not just some glib, bright, false positivity, nothing like that. He wants joy and full joy. And he presents it. And so I'm going to throw my hat in the ring this morning. And I'm not going to make any money off of it. And I'm not going to print any books or you know, make posters or anything like that. No weekly sessions for you. No, I don't even have a formula for you. But I hope that I can present to you just in the life of a man, just a simple man in his testimony uh, that God wants us to have joy. And more than that, we can and we should have joy. We can have fullness of joy. Uh, Just the word of God and the testimony of this man, John the baptizer this morning. Now listen, you I've been thinking about this man. I mentioned him from the pulpit just uh, in passing here recently, John the Baptizer, and he hasn't left my mind since then, so that's what led to this consideration, and I think what I mentioned at that time is the same thing that I've considered a number of times. That man's life, when you just consider, I'm not going to turn there, but in Luke 180, the last verse of Luke chapter 1, after he was born and Zacharias had his father had his uh, encounter with the angel and had his dealings with the Lord and identified John for who he was and, and made that great ornate prayer about the Lord Jesus and who John would be going before him and so on and so forth. At the end, it says that the child grew, John grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the days of his, or the day of his manifestation to Israel. You understand who this man was. Someone who was not necessarily an outcast, but he was kind of out in exile by himself, wandering in the desert, and we'll get there here in just a moment, but he wasn't rich, lived in skin, or well, fur skin, wore skins, ate locusts and honey, we talk about it, and ew, gross when we were kids, you know, talking about eating bugs and that sort of thing. This was his life, and this man said that his joy was full. So, as I've been considering him and thinking, if that man... Out in the middle of nowhere, eating bugs and the simplest thing without the oh, the blessing that is money, without the blessings of social media, without the blessings of internet, without all these things. If this man could have full joy, well, there's something to see there. And maybe we can take him as an example for ourselves this morning. So let's ask ourselves as we get going, is my joy full this morning? Is my joy fulfilled as John said his was? Do I want it to be? And furthermore, can it be? And I would say, I don't know for the first answer. <laughs> Second one, I hope so. I hope you want it to be. And for the third one, absolutely. It can be for sure. Uh, Saints, you are among the most justified in being joyful. You are among those who alone have the means of being joyful. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, I didn't lowercase it, but I will agree with Brother David what he said this morning as we taught back in Galatians and other times we've considered that that Spirit is the new creation. You have that new man in you and the fruit of that new man is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and it goes on from there. There are a number of different things that should be produced, that will be produced as you sow into that new man. Joy being one of those things. It's already, the, the capability is there. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you've accepted Him and you have that new creation, then joy and that capacity for joy is there. It's present. Those ones who don't, know Jesus, who have not received him who have not accepted him they might have some measure of uh, well happiness you know they might have some measure of of contentment even naturally speaking, but the true joy that can only be found that can only be found in, in the Lord. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord David said that's the only that's the only source where real joy comes from. They can't have it. You don't have the new creation. You don't have the capability of this fruit. So, if you have believed and you are a child of God, well, good news, man. You're already right on the path that you need to be. You are in the only position that can actually find true joy. And it is something that should be nurtured as a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that should be developed. It's something that should be invested in. It's something that should be fertilized, if you want to go on with the metaphor. It's something that should be weeded. It's something that should be encouraged and sought after and deepened in all of those things. As John said, it's something that should be fulfilled or filled, abundant, filled up to the rim (laughs) or to the brim, as it were. Speaking of old things, I remember those old commercials. Fill it to the rim with brim. Do you remember those things? Uh, Brim was a decaffeinated instant coffee. I wouldn't have a sip of it. I'm a coffee snob, you know this. I sure wouldn't fill it to the rim, but that's what it's talking about. Take it all the way to the top. Dare I say to overflowing. That's what the Lord has for us. Fulfilled, full of joy. That's what we're looking for. And so, this man John said, and his joy was fulfilled. Now, we know him to be a humble man. Just a couple of things in... in Well, and just reminders for who this man, John the Baptizer, was. I believe that he was among the most humble ever presented in Scripture. And not, well, we'll start looking at his humble means, I guess you could say. Mark 1 and verse 6 says this. John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Listen, I'm... (laughs) I don't know everyone's thoughts here, but I'm not a supporter of PETA. I don't have a whole lot of problem with leather myself. Uh, I have a leather Bible cover. Uh, I don't have a problem with such things, but I'm not interested in wearing camel's hair. If I'm going to have leather, I want it to be good quality. I, I have a leather jacket, I believe. Camel's hair, this was a skin. Man, he just put on... Camel's hair, skin, with a leather belt around his waist. This wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't tanned up. It wasn't something that had a label on the inside that someone would call chic or something extravagant or anything like that. He was clothed with camel's hair along the lines of Elijah. When they said, well, I don't want to misquote, but I believe it was Ahab talking to Obadiah. When Obadiah said, man, I ran into a guy. What did he look like? Well, he had hair. hair. I mean, he wore skins. That's Elijah the Tishbite. I know that guy. You know, it's very similar. Camel's camel's hair. It was humble stuff. A leather belt. And he didn't eat the best of foods. He ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, Well, we were at Nick's some years ago and he tried to feed me a a cicada, I think it was. Remember that year when those red-eyed cicadas came out? Was that what you were trying to feed us, Nick? I don't remember. I didn't eat it. A lot of people are still proud of the day that they ate those cicadas. No interest. I'm not going to eat bugs on purpose. Uh, And, you know, different people eat it as a delicacy and that sort of thing. I don't believe that that was the case here. This is what he had. This is what he ate. Wild honey is good in its place, but it's not something I want to be sustained on. He was humble in his means. And he was also humble in his word and in his ideals. More importantly, speaking to who he was as a person. In verse 7 of Mark chapter 1, it says, He preached saying this, There comes one after me who is mightier than I. And he goes on to say, Whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I believe that he meant it. Right? If I asked someone to come up and tie my shoe, you know, you all are sweet people. And I know that you love me. And probably if I said, Listen, man, My back is hurting. Could someone tie my shoe? There would be a line of people who would be willing to do it. If I said, come up here and tie my shoe. Without any explanations, you might go, tie your own shoe. (laughs) What do you mean? You know, let's just call it what it is. He says he's not worthy. Not worthy. He wasn't worthy to touch his shoelace. Not that Jesus wasn't worthy to do it. It's just, he, he, man... Uh, he held himself not proud, not haughty, not arrogant that 's the definition of humbleness. Not proud, not haughty or arrogant, having a modest estimation of oneself. Uh, this man was humble, separated in the wilderness, eating the basest of foods, wearing the basest of clothing, preaching that he was infinitely lesser to this one that he was sent before to Harold. And yet this one claimed that his joy was full. How? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. If this man's joy was full, then let's look at him and see how he got there. Firstly, in our passage back in John chapter 3 and verse 27. Firstly, John says that if you want joy, it has to come from God. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven, he says. That's important to understand, certainly. You know, you have to know where you're going is the source for what you want. If you want a ribeye, talking about meat and pita and that sort of thing. If you want a ribeye, you don't go to a vegan restaurant. Uh, I've walked into such places before, not realizing what they were, and you start recognizing that you know crab is spelled with a K, and you see that well, different things are different kind of clues. Nothing is spelled just right. Meat is spelled with M E E T or something, you know, something like that, just to indicate that this isn't actually meat. It's a faux, right? It's a faux kind of F-O-E too, but I'm talking about F-A-U-X. It's faux meat, it's fake meat, it's something like that. You don't go in there asking for a nice, I mean, marbled Kobe beef steak. You have to know where you're going uh, to and what you're asking for and, well, what the source is. You go to, you want meat, go to Jack Stack. They know meat, right? They know meat. Uh, If you want something, you go to where you know has it. If you want joy, man, you go to the source. You go to the Lord for it. He taught, we talked about that just a moment. You go and you ask Him for it. So, from the outset, let me just encourage you. If you find yourself punching in to unhappiness, punching in to lack of joy, punching into discouragement, despair, day after day after day, let's just start with what we can all do. Lord, help me to be joyful today. Help me. And then, once you start your day off, just recognizing, even if... The Lord always listens, but acknowledging the issue, acknowledging it, then you can start looking for it. And you're you're establishing that conversation with the Lord from the outset, and that's always a good idea in the first place. So, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for joy. And is that something that the Lord listens to? Absolutely that it is. Turn to John chapter 15. Uh, Recently we considered a number of passages from the 13th through the 17th chapter of John when Jesus was speaking to his disciples on that last night, his time here, and he filled that night, didn't waste a minute, he spoke to those ones, uh, expressing to them some final thoughts and some eternal things that they were to understand for themselves, that they were to teach, and and we were to understand for ourselves. Um, Yeah, the great majority of those thoughts that he gave to them are for us as well. Uh, As you're turning to John chapter 15... You'll pass by, well, over John chapter 14 when the Lord talked about preparing a place for us and coming again and receiving us where He is for all of eternity. He mentions in John 14 and 16 about the Holy Spirit coming and that it was good for Him to leave so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, could come and, well, assume His own position of ministry to us. He talked about peace and giving peace unlike the world's peace and a whole myriad of other things. 13, 14, 15, and so on. But here in John 15 and verse 11, Jesus expresses why He spoke those words, why He was teaching them in in those last moments there. He says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. Jesus had joy. And if you're talking about humble, Jesus was humble. And if you're talking about difficult situations, Jesus was on His way to the cross very, very shortly, you understand. And yet He says, My joy, present, That I have right now. That I'm willing to share. That my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be filled up to the rim. That your joy would be fulfilled. Same term. Same term that John used back in John chapter 3. That your joy may be full. The Lord wants his joy to remain in you. He is sharing it with you just as surely as he shares his peace. It's ours to receive just as surely as his peace is for us to share. Uh, Well, his joy is different than the world's joy, just as surely as the peace that he gives is not the same as the world's peace. He wants your joy to be full. Uh, Well, in John chapter 16 and verse 24, he says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. If you ask in his name something that he wants, something he, he desires, he's going to give it to you. Now, I don't want to throw qualifiers out there, but I will when it needs to qualify something. Always understand when you ask the Lord, Lord, I would like to have this, that you have promised me. He says, I'll give it to you. He doesn't always say, I'm going to give you a big ball of it right now. Instamatically, there it is for you. No, he says, I'm going to give it to you. And here's the process by which I'm going to dole this out to you. When I was a paramedic, we used to have a thing called titrate to effect. Give someone, someone needs dopamine, their heart's not beating fast enough. You start an IV on them, you hang a bag of dopamine. I didn't just go squeeze that dopamine in there because their heart wasn't working, because I could kill them with that. It wasn't good for them in that moment to that extent, to that measure. So, what you would do is you'd roll the wheel to drip, 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 just the right dose. You titrate that in to where it was effective, it was therapeutic, it was good for them, it was treating them exactly what was needed. And you'd watch their heart rate come up, their blood pressure would improve, and so on and so forth. You do that with a number of different medications. God titrates to affect the joy that you need. He doesn't just drop it on there and say, whoa, man, everything's good. Because you know what happens? (laughs) Oftentimes, oftentimes you take things for granted. Oftentimes we don't respect where it came from. Oftentimes we're looking for more and more and more. For a number of different reasons, the Lord brings joy in the manner in which is good for us, is best for us, and He titrates that in. And so, understand that when you ask Him for joy, it might not be the manner that you would want it to be. Uh, I use the illustration quite often. I ask the Lord, Lord, give me patience. Help me to be patient. So He gives me all kinds of things that irritate and annoy so that I can learn to be patient. Not just to have a a day where I'm just... eh, Nothing's bothering me today. That's just blissful ignorance is what that is. He doesn't want us to be blissfully ignorant. He wants us to learn patience. He wants you to learn joy. So he brings in things that... Well, oftentimes you have to work to find the joy in it. I'll just leave that there. He is the source of it. Understand that. And you should ask him for what you desperately need. And desperately want. Now, that being said... The next point that we see here in verse 28 of our passage is that John, well, we need to understand that part of that joy, that manner in which he gives, is by obeying what he sent us to do. So he says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. If you want the Lord's joy, you need to understand that you need to obtain it and receive it in the manner that he's titrating it out. Uh, in John's case, he was to receive joy by being humbled before the Christ. By being humbled, being out in the wilderness for a time, eating locusts and honey, wearing the skins and those sorts of things. We mentioned that humble existence. He didn't lean into the societal norms and the cultural you know, they didn't have Instagram back in that day. But they had their own version of that. They had their own replacement. They had their entertainment value in old school Judea. I mean, we would go back and we would be bored out of our minds maybe. I don't, I don't know. But he didn't lean into those things. He didn't go into whatever it was that they entertained themselves in at that time. He didn't depend on money for his happiness he didn't depend on these, well, just natural natural happinesses, natural stuff. He didn't depend on that sort of thing. He wasn't drawn this way and that way by those influences of the time, whatever their respective correlation was to our day. We don't need to lean into all of those things, and no, we do, and there's... Again, I don't want to just sound like some fuddy-duddy when I stand up here all the time and I bash on the influencers and I bash on social media and I bash on these things. I'm not just trying to bash. I'm trying to say, pay attention to how much interest, how much investment, how much of your mind you're investing into these things that have absolutely no spiritual benefit, if not are entirely spiritually harmful. Certainly don't place your own affirmations, your own your own self-worth in all of this garbage. It's not what we're called to do and it's not good for us. John didn't do it. John lived a life that, well, if we would have thought old school Judea was boring, my goodness, he's out in the wilderness. We'd be bored out of our minds, some of us who don't want to be off of the grid. He was in the wilderness, and it was just the right place for him. As we read just a moment ago, uh, he was out there until he was manifested. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the Word of God found him out there. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Let me just say this, just in passing for free. Saints, if you're looking for joy from the Lord, if you're looking for peace from the Lord, if you want wisdom from the Lord, if you find yourself struggling and receiving anything that God wants to have for you, man, get alone with him. Take, take that time. It's, it's, man. I tagged Dan here recently. I asked him to speak for me here in a couple of weeks. And we were giving him a hard time. Anna was actually giving him a hard time. She said, he takes a day off sometimes to study study for this sort of thing. It's a hardship, you know, for, for Dan to speak in my place. And I appreciate what Dan does. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not trying to just vaunt Dan up. Man, if you have to take a day off to seek the Lord and to find something that he's trying to give to you, is that a small price to pay? I would say so. Uh, Again, I'm not telling Dan, Hey, Dan, next time I want you to speak for me. You take a week off, man. Make it good. You know, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. You do as you feel led, Dan. But it is not too high a price to pay if you are lacking something from the Lord that He says, I want you to have this. And something else, even something that is a responsibility. You talk to Him, certainly, and you let Him lead you. But if it means to take time off work, if it means to take time away... Fasting is a real thing. Saints, you understand this? It's not something I'm going to tell you about every time I do it. It's not something we're supposed to bandy around and just let everyone... Man, I'm fasting and I'm holy and man, I'm just really struggling. No, that's not what we're called to do. But there are times when even the natural things are put away and put aside from us because we want something spiritual from Him that He's trying to give to us. So you put those things aside. Luke, not Luke. John was kind of living a life... That was kind of in the line of fasting, yeah? Get alone with God. Jesus did when He walked here. He would go out and He would be by Himself and He would talk to His Father. He was the Son of God, for goodness sake. Instamatic conversation. I mean, He, was, he had a, a connection that, well, we can't fully understand. And yet He got alone and went and spoke to the Lord. Uh, recognized the benefit in that. God gave John an understanding. Of his own purpose while he was in the wilderness. Spoke to him. The word of God came to John the son of Zacharias. While he was in the wilderness. While he was by himself. While he was waiting. Would you say? Yeah I would. John chapter 1 and verse 22. By his own admission. When the Pharisees asked him. Who he was in John chapter 1. He had an understanding of his purpose. Of what the Lord told him. Then they said to him, the Pharisees, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. When I preach John, when I talk about John the Baptizer, I cannot help but always think about what peace comes when we know who we are. Do you read much fantasy novels? When you, if you read, you know it's a, it's a kind of an old literary trope when it comes to fantasy and sorcery and all that mysticism, mystic, wizards and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Oftentimes you hear them say, "I learned his true name." His true name. You know, if you know someone's true name, then it's not just your name's Greg or your name's Bud or whatever the case may be. It was It's knowing who they are at the very core. Just a few words maybe or maybe multiple words, but it's who they are and it describes them. And once you speak their true name, you know exactly who they are and you have control over them and blah, blah, blah. Like I said, it's a fantasy trope and that's fine. Entertaining kind of stuff. John knew who he was. I'm not going to say he knew his true name. He knew who he was in the Lord. That's not fantasy. It's not a trope. It's a real deal. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, as the prophet Isaiah said. Saints, can you imagine looking at Isaiah and saying, <gasps> that's me. You know, That's me there. Well, I looked, I looked throughout scripture and I see me written all over the place. Honestly, not foretold, not prophesied or anything, but Jesus speaking to me. In all kinds of places, and you do too. But there's peace to be found in recognizing this is who I am. This is my place. This is my purpose. God found him in the wilderness where no one else was at, evidently. In the midst of his bug eating and honey eating and, and just sitting there wearing his camel skins, whatever the case might be, the word found him. And he knew who he was. Man, that's Peace. That's joy right there. Just beginning, that's joy in knowing the Lord has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. And He's told me what it is. Now, it's my choice whether I'm going to walk in that plan and walk down that way and satisfy this that the Lord has promised to empower me for. And I will tell you, this isn't, well, this one who's humble, this one who's already out there in camel skins, wait a second, now I have to go before this one and tell everyone that this is the guy? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact. That's exactly what you do. That's exactly what you're called to do. To go cry and say, Make straight the way of the Lord. And John did it. It's a great measure, we understand. That's not easy for people, just naturally speaking. Uh, competition, I have my own feelings about it. I've been a competitor in the past. My kids have competed in athletics and that sort of thing. I have a real, real love hate relationship with competition I think they didn't get the child of God in a lot of trouble in all honesty uh, I as I get older I start to believe that there's lesser and lesser place for it certainly in my life and in the life of the child of God honestly because it can cause such problems but you'll look at great athletes I'm talking about the top shelf ones different ones who, who have advanced not just in athletics but in other things in life in society you'll see these ones what they have in common so often is a fierce competition, a fierce competitive nature where, you know, I'll listen to different ones talk. Some of the greats that I am entertained by watching, they'll say, oh, I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter what it is if it's washing dishes. I want to wash better than you and I want to do it faster than you and I want to be better than you. And so I sit there and say, man, that's really, well, that's kind of ungodly <laughs> you know, when you get right, right down to, to best somebody else just because that can really lead to a pride issue, Right? But it's all there. All of it's there. We don't enjoy seeing somebody have something that we want. Have some, do something that, well, I can do that. And I can do better than this. Well, why do they get to have it and I don't get? We don't want to. I mean, it's just natural. We don't want to see that. Uh, some of us deal with it in, in, with more difficulty than others. But the Pharisees themselves who asked John this, they were, they were jealous of Jesus. This one who was who dared come up and start moving in and cause this upheaval and all this healing and stuff. What's going on? John was not jealous of Jesus. He was pragmatic. He was understanding. He was practical. He recognized, man, that is the Son of God. He must increase, but I must decrease. If I'm going to partake and receive everything out of this situation that is possible, that is good for me, that is blessing, as I occupy this place that the Lord has for me, He has to go up and I have to go down. And you know what? He was okay with that, it seems. I don't know what was going on in his flesh. I know what could have been going on in his flesh. But the testimony is there. Jesus walked by. Behold! Look! Don't look at me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the one. That's the one that I'm not even worthy of tying up his shoe. Have you ever done that before? I've seen some pretty impressive people. George Bush, George W. Bush drove right past. We saluted him out on the front of my station, right, two two blocks that way. He came and gave us a salute and all of that sort of thing. You know, if if President Bush asked me to tie his shoe, I'd say, tie your own shoe. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I'd say, I don't know why, but uh, okay, maybe. John didn't feel worthy, and he called it out. He called it out before those ones who were his own disciples, who he'd been teaching. There's a measure of pride involved in teaching and saying, you're my people. Pride can get involved, right? You... Not him. He said, no. Look at that one. That's the one. He's the source. John allowed God to tell him who he was and who he was was to tell well, who Jesus was. He believed God for it. And he was more than satisfied in having that place. Romans 15 verse 13 speaks to that idea, that thought, that concept. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Has God spoken to you? Has God given you you a place? Yes, He has. You have a new creation, yes? Has He called you to salvation? Yes. Have you answered? I hope so. Has he called you to something further and something more? As we always say, yes, there's more. He has called you to this. He has promised to empower you for this. Do you believe it? There's joy in that. Joy and peace in believing, in knowing. John was joyful because he believed that God had given him a role. He knew God for who he was. And he knew what he was telling him was true. And he was on board with it. There's peace there. There's joy in being on board with the Almighty God, regardless of what it is. Regardless of how slow He's titrating that joy into you. There's joy that comes in knowing the Almighty God is speaking to me, has called me to this. Praise God, man. Camel hair? Who cares? There's joy in being the child of God. We're justified in that no matter what our situation is. We could leave it at that. It's not so difficult a concept when you step back and you look at it. You can start seeing how it takes shape what John was doing here. Yes, he was humble. Yes, he made good godly decisions. But he had reason to. He was justified in it. He knew who God was. And he loved him. Far be it from me to not preach the gospel. God forbid, Paul went so far as to say, how can I not do this? I know who God is. Woe unto me if I don't preach it. He recognized it. He knew He knew where he was at. He recognized the blessing that was there. He got it, and he wanted God's things. John found joy in obeying God. It's very simple. Very simple. And he was reflecting God or the Lord Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 2. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, he does create it in us. Now look at the example that Jesus was. Who for the joy that was set before him... Endure the cross. This is what is is needed in order for me to have what I want. I want a group of believers. Furthermore, I want, I want all of them to accept everything that I have. But the great joy is that bridal calling, that bridal company, that that those ones who want to be closest to me, that's what He's looking for. Who for the joy that was said before Him, this is the means by which I get that. I'm going to endure the cross, despising the shame. John said, the means by which I can get closer to Jesus, closer to the Lord, is by simply obeying Him, following after what He has for me. It made sense to Him. So John was reflecting the Lord Jesus here, who was seeking joy for Himself. And had it titrated to Him, I guess you might say, It is what it is. After all that time in the wilderness there, listening and learning and waiting and recognizing his desire for God's will, recognizing his his desire for God's purpose in him, above all, that's what he wanted. He got it. He was rewarded for it. He was out there and he found the Lord's word came to him. He believed, he accepted, he said, this is who I am, this is what I am. Let's get started. There is joy and purpose for me. And so the Lord... Rewarded him for it. How did he do that? John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, this being a different time, after he had come in and begun teaching, John chapter 1, verse 29, I mentioned this a moment ago. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. It was no longer merely humility. I have to do this because this is God's will for me and I want to do God's will. There He is. Here He is. The one that I'm not... No. <laughs> he believed it. He believed it. He actually saw Jesus and He said, Behold, this is the one. And he goes on to tell us that. He expresses that back in our text in John chapter 3 and verse 29. He expresses that once you see it, once you've heard, perhaps ask the Lord for joy. And he starts to work that in you. Starts to give you the opportunity and, and the role and the, the steps that he has for you to obtain what he has fully for you. Well you recognize that and you embrace that place. You embrace it, you learn you learn to love it. You ever heard of, of well what is that called? Is it Stockholm syndrome? I don't want to speak anything out of line or anything, but, you know, oftentimes people who are imprisoned they get to learn to love their guards, right? Isn't that what Stockholm Syndrome is? You're in prison and you get to this point where you learn to empathize for these ones who might be mistreating you entirely, completely, because your mind is so, well, troubled, traumatized, that sort of thing. God doesn't traumatize your mind, neither does He keep you prisoner. He's not harming you or anything of that sort. He actually is good for you. He's actually trying to bless you. He actually offers you eternal things. It should stand to reason that we have some measure of perfect spiritual Stockholm Syndrome, right? This one, it's not that I'm traumatized. It's that I recognize, I step back and I see. The Almighty God has got a purpose for me. He's carved out a role for me. He carved out my name on the palm of His hands. He has offered me eternal riches and glory, and by comparison, I reckon that the well, how's it go, the trials and tribulations of well of of this present life aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. That means it's not worthy. John said, "I'm not worthy to touch your straps of your shoes. I'm not. Well, my little light afflictions aren't worthy to be compared to the glory." That the Lord Jesus has offered to me. How can I not take joy in that? How can I not take joy in that day after day? He who has the bride is the bridegroom, he says. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He likened himself to the friend of the bridegroom. You hear that saying, always a bridesmaid. (laughs) I've read this so many times and thought it in my mind so many times, I oftentimes say, always the bridegroom, never the bride. I get it wrong. It's always the bridesmaid, <laughs> never the bride. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And it speaks to those poor people who just, you know, well, they're never married. They don't find the love that they want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. fact of the matter is, some people don't want to be married. Fine, that, that's between you and the Lord. But you know what the adage is saying there? In this case, always the groomsman, never the bridegroom, right? Again, it was a humble position is what it was. John didn't care that he wasn't the bridegroom. He didn't care. He said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. And he points to Jesus. And that is a foretelling right there of an understanding or of a, well, a shadow of the bride yet to come. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly Man, that's sweet, isn't it? Rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Uh, you know how it is when you talk to someone who's far away and you hear them over the phone. Now we have FaceTime. You know, Allie and I dated 600 miles apart back in 1995, 96, and that sort of thing. And we understood what it was to have this long-distance type I think it was always nice to finally see see each other, be months at a time. Some of you know exactly what that is. Even now, you know, we'll FaceTime with with Emmy or something like that, and "Eh, it's great. You hear hear that, and you're like, oh, it's just so sweet. She sang happy birthday the other day. And you're like, oh my goodness, and you play it over and over and over again because you're a sappy fool. This one here, this isn't sappy foolishness. This isn't being sentimental and cheesy and that sort of thing. I believe that, well, I believe John the Baptizer probably would have taken me in a fight. The guy lived in a wilderness and he wore camel skin, for goodness sake. He probably, probably was a tough guy. And he said he rejoiced because he, heard, because he heard the bridegroom's voice. He rejoiced. There's nothing effeminate about that. There's nothing weak about that. There's nothing not masculine about that. There's something entirely pragmatic, practical, godly, and tender about that. He rejoiced simply to hear, to have fellowship with the Son of God. I'm not going to fault him for that. I think it's entirely justified. He was content to be with the bridegroom. He was joyful to have been sent before him. He was joyful to be given a purpose and a place. He was joyful at being in agreement with God the Father and ultimately just to hear the voice of the Son of God. Fulfilled his joy. That's what it said. It filled it. He says, because of the bridegroom's voice, therefore this joy of mine is full to the rim. He was satisfied with that. This joy of mine is to the very top. That's what did it for him. Now listen, if you're so manly or masculine, or by the other way, if you're just so self-sufficient, that sort of thing, male or female, that you just, man, I can't get into that sanctimonious God. Garbage. I can't I can't get into this sort of thing. Get wipe your eyes and you know, speak to me, you know, in a in a in a manly way, in a grown up way. Saints, I don't mind man. I don't mind being tender to this sort of thing. I don't mind identifying with John here and saying, Man, just to hear his voice, to know his presence, uh, that will fulfil my joy. John recognized what his true needs were not. He didn't need inclusion in society. He didn't need to be signed off on his fashion sense. He didn't need all that drip. He didn't need a a fit to impress those ones that he was walking around. He didn't need that. He didn't need the luxuries. He didn't need the top shelf food. He didn't need any of those things. He believed that he needed to be humble before the Lord. He believed that he needed to take that place that God had presented to him. He believed he needed to embrace that role, and he believed that he needed to rejoice in the presence of the Son of God. And he was right, 100%. Doing so made his joy full. It filled him to the uttermost. What should we do? Well, I say we should take a page out of the book of this man, John, not any of these other ones who make posters or sell their own books or that sort of thing. You want wisdom? You want patience? You want peace? You want joy? <clears throat> First off, you ask the Lord. Lord, start that IV and get the titration going to your your desire. Whatever is just perfect, but understand, I recognize I need this. I recognize that I want it. And I want it to be full. That's where you start. And then here come. Snippets of things, perhaps. But if you aren't satisfied with His Word, saints, if you aren't satisfied with His will, if you aren't satisfied with the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never going to have joy. I'll just say it as plain as that. You're never going to have joy to the fullness that you can and should have. Trust in the Lord and do good, Psalm 37 tells us. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The joy and the delight will be brought up to the very top. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. There has to be an understanding that everything that comes from him is good. Whatever it looks like, however it feels, whatever the case may be. If you've asked the Lord for joy and He has sent you trouble, if He has sent you trial, if He has sent you good times, whatever He has sent you, understand that, well, it's at His command. It is His voice speaking. It is part of that role He's called you to, and it is good, and it must be rejoiced in. You can find joy in it. So rejoice this morning, child of God, as John did. Number one, you are a child of God. You are already on the path to it. You are already qualified and justified in being joyful. That's the beginning. You've already been offered a place, a further place, a nearer place. That crown of life, that crown of glory, the crown of righteousness that comes from living a life qualified for such things, as we read. Not as a groomsman. Not as a bridesmaid, but as the bride herself. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, Paul says. If you don't know what that means, study it out. Who the bride is, that out resurrection. To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Together in that joint heirship, you've been offered a place. Recognize that calling and embrace that place pragmatically. The Almighty God is speaking to you. The Almighty God has made you, well, put you on the appropriate path. The Almighty God has a calling for you. There's joy to be found in that. You will show me the path of life, Psalm 1611 says. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Saints, if you need to, if you find yourself not joyful, if you find yourself waking up and punching your time card, into discouragement and despair and anything but joy, get away. Separate yourself. Speak to the Lord. Pray and study and open yourself up to him. Recognize that he does have a calling, that you have a place. You have heard his voice. He is speaking to you. And there is unspeakable joy to be found in the presence and in the word and the voice of Jesus. Be joyful. Be joyful, child of God. Because he wants you to be